In July 2021, the Biden administration celebrated the expansion of child tax credit payments, passed as part of the American Rescue Plan. The program changed the usual annual tax credit to monthly payments. It also upped the amount of money each family qualified for, $3,600 for children under 6 and $3,000 for kids between 6 and 17. Parents across the country started to receive up to $300 per month per the outlet roll call. But if your family was one of the millions receiving these monthly payments, you may have had a shock come last Friday. Even though the House passed an extension of this tax credit program, the U.S. Senate did not, which means child tax credits have now reverted back to what they were, an annual payout of up to $2,000 per child, leaving families dependent on those monthly checks high and dry. You're listening to And Another Thing. I'm Maya Schwader. I'm Dara Kennedy. Data released in December from the United Nations and its partner UNICEF states that COVID-19 is the biggest threat to children's progress worldwide in the nonprofit's history, pushing 100 million more children into poverty since 2019. The research noted that recovery to pre-pandemic levels could take up to eight years to accomplish. Closer to home, Rhode Island has led New England in child poverty rates in recent years, and both Connecticut and Massachusetts had 14 and 12% respectfully of children living in poverty pre-pandemic. And then in 2020, U.S. median household incomes hit a 60-year low as close to 10 million people lost their jobs. Corey Salisbury is one of the many still navigating unemployment. A father of four in New Haven, Connecticut, he told us he's seen the need for assistance spread in his community, but that need also hit hard at home. He spoke to us while attempting to put his four-month-old daughter down for a nap. It has affected uh, me and my house because I, for one, have been unemployed since January of last year. And so to have a low income with the unemployment, then to have that run out with no extra assistance at all, you were looking forward to getting the assistance with the child tax credit and at least something to look forward to every month, at least that you knew that you were going to have the funds to put food in the house to help pay the rent. With having that come to an end as well has definitely made it a little bit harder. What I've seen in the community from a pastor's standpoint, people are trying to figure out what's the next steps. How can they substitute the income that they were once receiving and now they're not getting it anymore? So even in, you know, in our church circles, we see people asking for more assistance, asking if we have any, either have any information as to where they can go to get uh, assistance, whether you see the, the lines getting longer at the food pantries and you see other churches starting to open up, pop up pantries. To just put food on the table. When you were getting those checks every month, give us an idea of what that money was going for. Number one, it was going towards food. I stopped receiving my unemployment income in November. And so when I realized that I wasn't unable to file for extended benefits, both my wife and I had to plan Thanksgiving dinner, uh, let alone the dinners after that, around the $500 that we were receiving for the child tax credit. We knew December was going to be tough, you know, with Christmas, with having four girls, including a four-month-old. And we had to make that $500 stretch, not only for food, but for, you know, to make sure that they had a decent Christmas. And, you know, January has been a whole other ballgame with not receiving anything at all. You You find yourself trying to make sure that, you know, whatever income, you know, thankfully my wife is still working. So we've had to make that stretch, but it's like if you are paying one thing, then something gets unpaid. 
because you have to almost, you know, when it comes to bills, rob Peter to pay Paul with the hopes that something would, would have been passed before the end of the year to assist with getting back on track. And so, you know, we're, we're still hopeful. We still believe, we still pray, but we still have to live in the reality of not having enough. What was your, your job in addition to being a pastor at this church? I was a residential energy specialist. I helped homeowners get solar panels. And in doing that, there was a downsizing because of COVID and issues with funding and things like that. And so I was one of the ones that was let go. Can you speak a little bit to how you and the people you see in your community are trying to now plug these holes without this extra check coming in mm-hmm. every month? Thankfully, there, there are different organizations or food pantries that allow you to come and to you know, obviously shop for free. Even when you do have it, the stores are kind of offering now the bare minimum. And then on top of offering the bare minimum, there's been a huge price hike. Thankfully, I've been able to use, uh, I believe it was called Rent Relief. So I was able to help a lot of people get assistance through rent relief to help them navigate through a tough time of not knowing how they were going to pay their rent and put food on the table. And then there's other churches that are in a better position than we are at the moment to be able to offer assistance. Were you aware that the tax credit was going to be ending or did it come as a surprise? No, I was aware. I, I followed it closely because I, I you know, was uh, an advocate for it trying to uh, make sure our voices were heard and the fact that, you know, we're in a pandemic and a lot of people are in a place where they never thought they'd be before. So any assistance that we can get from those that we elected will be warranted at this point. What was your reaction when you found out that it was going to be ending? I was very disappointed because it seems like every time they allow something like this to come through, they don't really think about the long term until the week of. And it's like, you know, this has been coming to an end for a long time. Why is it that we have to put all of our heads together last minute, knowing that we have two or three people that don't agree within our own party? For me, it's even more of a a strenuous thing because the rent relief that I received also ended this month. So next month, we have to try to figure out how is it that we're going to pay our rent or because there's no eviction moratorium anymore, you know, we could be put out. I am so sorry to hear that. Uh, that you're struggling that badly. You said that you had been advocating for this a little bit. Have you reached out mm-hmm. to your elected representatives since then? We have. We, we've spoken and, you know, they've given us, you know, thankfully, you know, our elected officials are in support of the child tax credit. But we know it's politics and everything in Washington moves super, super slow unless, you know, there's an election on the line. There is an election on the line this year, so it's interesting that you bring that up. Some of the opposition to this has been saying the tax credit, it's too expensive. It costs too much money. We need to put that money elsewhere. What do you say to that? Mm -hmm. I say put yourself in the shoes of the people that need it. Corey Salisbury, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and best of luck to you and to your family. (laughs) Thank you so much, and Coco says thank you as well. If the monthly check was so beneficial to folks like Corey Salisbury, then it begs the question, what happened? Over a half a million families, 583,000 to be exact in Connecticut, were helped by the tax credit. But with President Joe Biden's Build Back Better legislation halted in the Senate, families are stuck in the middle of government red tape. For more on the how and whys, we turn to one of the major supporters of the child tax credit. U.S. Representative Rosa DeLora joins us now. When the tax credit became law as part of President Biden's American Rescue Plan, 
you actually made history by leading this charge for over 18 years. Now, again, families are in jeopardy of not having that extra money that you fought so hard for. How is this still at a standstill at this point? Well, look, I, I'm always of the view, I always want to be an optimist that we can get to some sort of agreement on this. But given the successful accomplishment of the child tax credit, it has meeting its purposes every single day. Keep in mind that we it was in the American Rescue Plan a year ago, and it was passed in March. We started the monthly payments in July. There were many people who didn't believe that we could do monthly payments. And uh, in fact, we did. And we started in July uh, through December. And I don't have the December numbers, but the November numbers indicate that 3.8 million kids were lifted out of poverty. And we've seen the uh, hunger in the United States decline is a direct result of the child tax credit. I don't know that there's any other example of a program that has had such enormous success just shortly after going into effect. So for me, um, that is the strength of the bill and the strength of talking about how it needs to be extended and how we need to make sure that it continues uh, so that families can survive economically. You know that during this pandemic, over 2 million women were pushed out of the workforce. They didn't opt out. They were pushed out because there was no childcare or it was too expensive. Now they have the wherewithal to be able to pay for it. So food, childcare, healthcare, rent, mortgages, school supplies, diapers, it's essential that people are spending this money on. And that is precisely what the legislation was intended to do. So when you put it like that, it sounds like a win-win for everyone. What's the actual holdup? Well, you know, people think that it's too expensive, but in thinking about that, child poverty costs the United States over a trillion dollars every year. Uh, The IRS has told us that we leave on the table about a trillion dollars a year from probably the wealthiest one-tenth of one percent of the people in this country are cutting the corners on their own you know, paying their fair share of taxes in the same way that you get corporations like Amazon who don't pay any taxes at all. What we're doing is ensuring that youngsters can be safe, be well-fed, they grow up to be better citizens, less of a cost for health care. So for those who think that it's it's too expensive, my view is, is that the cost benefit is in the favor of extending the child tax credit. But how much of this you know, to be political is not so much about the money, but about the filibuster. It's really quite remarkable in the United States. You know, we challenge other countries for full free and elections. And some of my Republican colleagues and some of these states trying to do is to re- restrict access. And that's a question of the filibuster. The issue of the Build Back Better bill, it would be a 50, uh, you need 50 plus one. So that's, that's the majority. Uh, so it's the issue of getting people to agree that what are the most important public policy initiatives that we should be making. And I believe that the child tax credit leads the way. Those payments to those families that need it started, like you said, in July, and their last payment was in mid-December. We're already in mid-January. How much of that, the loss of those few hundred dollars, are already affecting families? Well, they are already affecting families. Uh, did a, a session with a with a young woman in New Haven who has four daughters and one of them who has got some special needs 
and is homeschooling all of these kids. And the question is on, uh, you know, she was able to go and buy more groceries. She was able to get what she needed for her daughter. Others have said, I'm going to feed my kids. I won't be able to eat, but I've got to be able to feed my kids. If they came back and said, we will pass this if these changes were made, what changes do you think would be suitable in order to get this through? Well, you know, look, what I'm not going to do is to negotiate this bill in the press or anywhere else. This is a bill that has worked, it's successful, uh, and it's doing what it should. There should be other programs at the federal level who get funding every single year and are not as successful as this program is. We ought to move to get this done and allow people to take care of their families, their kids, and themselves, and to get on the road to economic security. Representative Delora, thank you so much for joining us on And Another Thing. Thank you so much. You take care and be safe. When we come back, a sociologist tells us about the lessons legislators need to learn from the pandemic. And could the solution lie not at a federal level? We'll talk to a representative in Vermont who's attempting to patch up the holes in the system for her state. That's coming up on And Another Thing. Stay with us. You're listening to And Another Thing. As we discuss the possible or temporary end of the monthly child tax credit, which is leaving millions of families around the country without those extra few hundred dollars to support themselves each month. I'm Dara Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. It's not just individual families who benefit from the support. There are also broader societal effects when a government gives people money, as our next guest explains. We spoke with Joya Mishra, professor of sociology and public policy at UMass Amherst. We asked her why a program like a child tax credit seems to work better as a monthly payment rather than a yearly installment. The child credit was increased, so the amount of money that parents got to support the costs of having children went up a little bit. And then the other thing that was really lovely about it was that it was paid to families consistently. So instead of waiting until you filed your taxes and then maybe you get some money back from the government, the families were actually getting monthly checks. And that makes a huge difference as well, because families actually need the money as they are spending the money for their children's food or clothing or housing. So what effect are you anticipating this having now that it's no longer a monthly payment and the amount has been reduced? What we know about the United States relative to other countries is that uh, many more children live in poverty. That was true before this was put in place. We saw a really beautiful reduction in poverty with this in place for children. And we'll probably you know, go back to the previous levels, maybe a little bit worse because of the pandemic, now that that benefit is going away. Over the long term, the costs of children living in poverty are much greater than providing a tax credit or support to families because if you live in poverty, it has negative impacts on your ability to do well in school, on health, on your future employment. So children who don't live in poverty are actually much less costly. You said that this might be worse after the pandemic. What leads you to believe that? Well, I think that we're still in a place right now where many families are not in employment in the way that they were because of a lot of inconsistencies in the provision of childcare and in schooling 
when, you know, for example, there are surges, parents often need to stay home with kids, which has an impact on their employment. Are you at all surprised that this happened? Were you expecting that maybe they would extend the credit? Once there has been something like this provided, people are pretty unhappy when it goes away. (laughs) And so people in Congress have kind of a very strong motive for why they'd want to go ahead and vote on the legislation and get it in place because they know that their constituents really have benefited and they really have appreciated this. And this is something that they see as a great thing. I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, of course, the way the politics have played out over the last five years has been consistently crazy. So (laughs) I'm disappointed. I'm not completely shocked. You have talked a lot about the way Biden's policies affect families. Is there anything that you've been keeping track of so far that kind of provides a bright spot that might make you think, oh, this could work really well? Or has it all been kind of shot down by the political process? I'm excited because I think that these things have actually been on the political agenda and people have been talking about them and they've been talking about them in serious ways. I feel like there has already been a lot of support across the country. We've seen states adopting things like paid family leave and early childhood education. That makes me feel very, very hopeful. Joya Mishra is a professor of sociology and public policy at UMass Amherst. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciated talking to you. As we heard from Congresswoman Rosa DeLora, the political movements around the child tax credit frustrates lawmakers at the national level. While that brews in Washington, D.C., some state legislators are taking their constituents' matters into their own hands. Last week, Vermont State Rep Emily Kornheiser helped introduce Bill H-510, which would introduce a child tax credit at the state level, possibly filling in the gaps left by the national payments. It significantly extends opportunities for parents of young children to have a much more progressive status in our tax system by creating a child tax credit at the state level in Vermont for families of children birth to age six. So a person who has you know, a five-year-old in Vermont, how much could they be expecting to get from this tax credit? $1,200 per year for any child under um, six years of age. And so if they had two children, it would be $2,400 per year. Half of it would be paid out monthly in installments, the same way the federal credit was constructed. And really, really importantly, it's a fully refundable tax credit. So a family with no tax liability would still receive a payment. Why age six? Why not age eight or 10 or 12? If you look at graphs of what families' median incomes or even um, divided up by around income thresholds, there's a real inflection point at age six for families around their ability to earn. Part of that is people are earlier in their career. Part of that is in a two-parent family, often one parent would work less during those years. In a single-parent family, someone might work part-time during those years or work only one job instead of two. And so what we see is families with children under the age of six often have much lower income than families over the age of six. And so this, if we need to pick a population that would benefit the most from a shift in our tax structure, this is the population that we're looking at. We also really have, you know, a value of making Vermont a place where young children can thrive, where families can thrive. And so this is one way we can really set the stage for that early in children's lives. 
since the national uh, monthly tax credit for children has ended, do you see this as kind of a, a state local solution to the check that a lot of parents might be missing these months? I think it's less a replacement and more an acknowledgement that we learned some really powerful things during the pandemic about what is possible for children and families. Does it seem like legislators like you are actually trying to learn the lessons of the pandemic, given, you know, the the pullback of things like the eviction moratorium and the, the failure of the extension of this child tax credit? I think on the state level, that's what we're trying to do in Vermont the best we can. I think we've learned a lot about what housing means for public health and for the stability of families. I think we've thought a lot about what direct payments can mean for families. And I think we're really seeing opportunities for a more progressive tax system. This was just introduced, I understand. But what has the discussion around the bill been like? Right now, people seem really excited about the opportunity in front of us. We have a rare abundance in our general fund right now and in our education fund. And so really want to make sure that as we look at opportunities to both spend and reduce taxes, that we're doing it in a way that's going to best serve the needs of families in Vermont. Are you anticipating some pushback on this, perhaps saying, oh, there are other ways that we should be spending this money? The state can't afford this? There are always other ways we can be spending money, and there are so many needs across our communities. But at this point... You know, I think there's broad agreement that these years in the child's life are incredibly powerful and that when we create stability, it really sets the stage for that child's development long term. Representative Kornheiser, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us tonight on And Another Thing. You can find more episodes on our page at NEPM.org. Tune in tomorrow as we discuss recent anti-Semitic events in our region. I'm Dara Kennedy. You can also email us at andanotherthing at nepm.org and follow us on social media. We are at AAT on NEPM. I'm Maya Schwader. Have a great evening.